filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So uh, my wife and daughter and I watched the second half of this game against Philly this weekend from behind the, the North Goal in what used to be the Volkswagen garage. And um, they they don't have quite as much activities set up back there. It is a cool vantage point being right down on field level, essentially, um, you know, 10 feet from the end line. Um, so, and that's so, where so I was now, watching. So now it's the diesel fuel wasteland? I'm not sure what it is back there. I don't know that it's branded at all. There's seriously two uh two cornhole sets, uh two giant Jenga, and more on that in a second, and uh the world's smallest bocce court. And then a food truck and uh a beer stand and some what, tables. What, That's it. What kind of food truck? Uh Peruvian, I think. I'm not sure. Nice. Wasn't paying close attention. Good didn't though. need didn't need food at the time. Um so while I was watching the game from the end line, my uh, my daughter was entertaining herself with the giant Jenga. Uh, both sets, in fact. She um, pulled one, one set down and built a track out of the blocks, laid them up side by side by side by side, made a track probably 20 feet long, and then proceeded to run back and forth on it, run up and down. Nice. She's two and a half. So, you know, these, these foot, you know, maybe two foot wide uh, not even two foot wide, uh, blocks, you know, running on, it's not the, the easiest thing. So it was pretty awesome to see her just decide this is what I'm making. And she <laughs> pulled maybe half of the second set over to make her track longer, which of course I approve of too. Um, uh, she found in the, the pile of rubble after she knocked over one of these towers, uh, nobody was playing. She didn't interrupt anybody's giant Jenga game. Um, but and in the rubble, she did, she, she's cuter than any of them. So, Screw yeah, them. but you know, propriety matters. No, but in the rubble, she found she found one of the uh, one or two, I guess, of the bean bags from the cornhole sets, and she tried throwing them. And she's got a pretty good arm for being under three, but not good enough to or accurate enough to get it really all that close. Talon, you know, we we were at Talon's house, so Talon was right. walking around, and after meeting him a couple of times she was very familiar with talon uh just on this evening and she saw talon walking she said hey talon you need to pick up those beanbags please (laughs) and i don't know how how familiar you are with with mascot uniforms but when you have a giant foam head on your shoulders you can't you're not bending over to pick up uh those beanbags not with that attitude so Talon <laughs> Talon was a fantastic sport and tried squatting down to blindly pick up these beanbags that were around him, squatting down and feeling the ground around him or trying to. He didn't quite get down deep enough and had to give up. Uh, but he gave it the old college try. And I was I was pretty proud of Talon for that, for for number one, humoring my daughter and number two, really making a go of it. 
There's no half-hearted uh, helping out children when you're Talon. No, Talon is, is all about the kids. Best. He's a friend yeah. to all. Not unlike Maui, the demigod, which is my daughter's other current obsession. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They're Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We write about DC United. We are, in fact. We write about DC United. We write about the Washington Spirit. We write about the U.S. national teams. Uh, The Richmond Kickers come up sometimes. Um, Some other stuff comes up sometimes. Mostly, though, it's DC United and the U.S. national teams, and that's what we're talking about tonight. DC United... Two to nothing over Philadelphia Union over the weekend. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about the latest uh, couple of World Cup qualifying games for the U.S. men's national team. And we're going to preview D.C. United versus NYCFC. That game is this Saturday at RFK Stadium. And Sam Dunn, uh, famous from Damn Son with Sam Dunn, and Hudson River Blue. He will be on the show in the the final segment to help us preview that game. Before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? So I'm famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, for uh, concocting hellish. Uh, oh God, what have you drink, done? Drink cocktails. I, I don't think this is that hellish, but famous last words. But continue. So I did rum. Nope. uh coffee liqueur okay and uh uh orange liqueur this seems extraordinarily sweet yes that seems like you're drinking sugar well it's what we had and i decided to whip it all up and what does it taste like do you have any teeth left or do i have any sobriety left have your teeth fallen out from the sugar or my sobriety fallen out of my face Spring anyway, is a concept, Ben. It can't physically fall out of your face. Uh, Let's take this speak, seriously. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I think I know a, a thing or two about sobriety and where it goes <laughs> and, and how it there, goes right? away. I've done extensive research in the field. So, Ben, are you proud of this drink? Are you ashamed of this drink? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good answer. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh... Sometimes when your team wins, uh, and it's been a while, and they weren't able to score for many weeks, uh, you finally win, and even though the game was grimy and, and kind of sloppy, you feel a little fancy, and you, you want to fancy it up a little bit. So, uh, I went back to the old standard when it's time for fanciness. I went Kahlua to... and Orange and... Uh... No, 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 I did not do that to myself. That is not anybody's uh, old standby, Ben. Yeah, Stop that's trying to make that happen. That's nothing. That's uh, not, it's not even a drink. Though I think that that drink needs to be I named. I think it is a drink. I think it is a drink. Name it the Benjamin Bromley. Okay. Uh, it should be named after you directly so that there's no escaping it. Um, I'm down with that. But I went with Cavassier VSOP on the rocks. You should you should get XO. They didn't have that at the store. <laughs> you should have gone to a different store. I didn't want to. Okay. So... <laughs> The last couple weeks on the show, I've had uh, shrubs, and the last two uh, two results we've we've seen have been six nothing for the U.S. I guess there's there's also the draw in Panama, and then two to one for DC United. So I made another shrub with another and, new and, spirit. And this and this week, I remember what a shrub is. That's good. See, repetition. We're, we're 
we're proving the children's television programmers correct that repetition <laughs> is is key here to education. Uh, this week, it's the same uh, blueberry basil shrub that I've had the last couple weeks, and this week it is mezcal mixed into it, and it might be the best of the bunch so far. Nice. So I'm, I'm probably really happy with it. Also really happy about DC United getting a win and their first goals of 2017. 2-1 uh, to over the Philadelphia Union on Saturday night at RFK Stadium. Jose Ortiz scored and won a penalty kick in his full debut, his debut as a starter for DC United. Luciano Acosta converted the penalty, but before we talk about any of that good stuff, we have to talk about Marcelo Sarvas and what the hell is he doing. Fuck. Um, it's a family show, Ben. Fuck. <laughs> that's, that's, you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Marcelo lost his damn mind and uh, had a two-foot stomp that should have seen him sent off, should have seen United down a man, and the way the Philadelphia Union were attacking in that second half, they probably would have gotten a couple more goals, and DC United is talking about another loss rather than their first win of the year. Really put the team in jeopardy. More importantly, could have really injured, uh, I think it was CJ Sapong yeah, on Sapong. the receiving end of that tackle or stomp. It wasn't really yeah. a tackle. Um yeah. It was it was a cheap shot. It was bad. It I it, I, I have no defense for Marcelo on this. He yeah. he should have seen red, and he will. Uh, I I assume the disciplinary committee will give him at least one game, if not more. And I will, yeah. no matter how big the suspension is, I won't argue against it. Like he could be suspended yeah, was, for the rest of the year, and I would say, yep, that's that's probably fair. I was re- I was rewatching the game because I was unable to watch it uh, when it initially happened, and. I was watching that uh, tackle uh, a couple of times, and I was like, oh, what happened? What happened? What happened? I don't understand. And then I saw it. I, I really paid attention to it one time, and I was like, oh, there's the tackle. Oh, there's the, the uh, body check. I was like, oh, shit. That's what just happened. Oh, yep. Damn it. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and there, there's nothing you can say that make that mitigates it whatsoever. He stomped on the guy's leg. and yeah. I mean, he, he, he needs to be suspended. You, you, well, you just can't. You just can't deal with that. We're, we're. I think everyone involved is lucky that he didn't really land flush on Sapong's leg. Yeah. Um. That that his heels caught the ground rather than Sapong because it could have been a lot worse. Um. Than than what it turned out to be. Um. And it's not like we're sitting here like glad that an experienced starting midfielder is facing a suspension most likely, but um. I mean, there's just no room in life or or soccer for something that violent um, that that isn't like in it's like it, this is like a if it was a self defense thing it might be reasonable but for winning a loose ball against a player who is already on the ground um, you never ever have to go in like that it doesn't add anything it doesn't yeah. help in any way whatsoever it doesn't help you win the ball yeah i don't understand what going in like that does other than potentially injure the other guy right and and it it endangered cj sapong i have no idea what ricardo salazar missed on that because he was he was standing right there you know right he's like a solid two yards away with nothing between him and the incident he was looking at the ball which was right there um i i mean it's not fun to sit here it's not like we are enthusiastic about the prospect of Marcelo being suspended, but when you make a tackle like that, regardless of what team you play for, something's got to be done. Um, that 
that tackle can't happen. Uh, it, it sh- it's not something that should ever enter your thought process on the field. Um, a tackle like that it shouldn't cross your mind as a thing to do. Um, and there will be consequences, and DC United is, is most likely going to have to play with either Jared Jeffrey, who hasn't shown that that deep position is his best position, or they're going to have to uh, call Chris Durkin up from the kickers and, you know, use a 17-year-old at defensive midfield in his first MLS go, start Chris, ever. Go, Chris, go, Against NYCFC, who scored four goals on DC the last time they played. Can't um, be worse. Can't be worse. <laughs> it's not a good situation, no. but at the same time, when someone tackles like that, something has to be done. Yeah, um, and... and- you know, we can't complain about it. Right. And there have been times where we've definitely complained about disciplinary committee decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still of the opinion, even though the last few have been pretty fair, I'm of the, the opinion that the disciplinary committee has, on the balance since it became a thing, been a little harsh on DC United. This time, I don't think they're going to be harsh. I think they're going to be pretty fair. Um, you know, and we're not speaking on this with, like, inside knowledge. Um, we don't have any... Uh, anyone at league headquarters feeding us a little information saying that it will happen. It's just, we saw the tackle. Um, so we can kind of put two and two together on our own, uh, on that one, because not just, it wasn't just us that saw the tackle. The camera crew caught it. It's been all over Twitter. You probably saw it, uh, more than once. So yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. I I saw Matt Matt Doyle's was tweeting. He made a, he made a gif of it that showed exactly what, the yeah. disciplinary committee is going to evaluate and it's it's violent conduct it's like the textbook definition of violent conduct so on the less negative side bill hamid um was probably the man of the match named to mls's team of the week seven saves i think uh yeah. several of them very very highlight reel worthy the one on cj sapong um which i i think is the one that's up for save of the week this week uh probably the best of the bunch um nice to see bill back yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't have anything to add to that. Just, uh, I mean, uh, it it was one of those games. It was kind of a throwback for DC, where um, maybe they were only the better team for about half an hour of the game. Uh, they got their goals during that period, and then the rest of the time they had to ride out a lot of pressure, which means need you know the throwback 2014-2015 DC United formula involves Bill Hamid making four or five big saves, um, and that's exactly what he did in this game. Um, that late save on Sapong was extraordinarily difficult and he pulled it off despite yeah. the thing is it wasn't just out of nowhere. Like that play was chaotic and drawn out. And it was one of those plays where it just kept going and the ball kept being in the box. That's one um, of those where I think expected goals models, some of them anyway, take into account how many touches the attacking team has in the box. And there were a lot for Philly. And, and on it's, that it's, one. Hard for, it's hard for a goalkeeper to remain in a position to do anything because there's a lot. That means once people are starting to touch the ball in the box, it means more people are coming in. There's more of a crowd. Um, it's harder to get to where you need to be to do your job. Um, he actually had to get around a crowd of people to get, uh, confront Sapong to make that save. Um, so it wasn't just the uh, the save side of it. It was the whole thing. Um, the, the composure to keep his feet moving and get into a position to actually make a difference. And then Sapong struck that ball extremely hard, so having the, the physical strength to make sure that ball didn't get over the line uh, was a pretty big deal. I will say that I kind of what, thought... Was that, the, was that the one where he almost had, like, the double save, like, it hit two parts of his body uh, uh, before it bounced out? 
No, no, this is the the later one where it was just um he just got both hands up and um had to deflect and, it and out smacked the corner. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um I I will say on the goal um Hamid would probably be the first one to tell you that he could do better on the goal. Um it was a tough save for him to get down on, but if you do get down there to make that stop, generally you're expected to be able to push the ball wide of the post or at least wide enough that Sapong isn't just having a, a you know, a one-yard shot from within the width of the post, you at least push it wide. He's got to, you know, roll it in from almost no angle. Um, I think he could have done better there, and that's probably what his focus on is. It, it, focus will be on this week um, is the fact that, that normally he would have that uh, technique to make that save. But, you know, I don't want to come across as only focusing on that one moment because if you, if Hamid doesn't play you know, kind of a, otherwise, other than that moment, kind of a classic Bill Hamid game, United doesn't get a win in this one. Um, you know, yeah. Go ahead, Ben. No, I'm just that his overall game was amazing. And yeah. I, I think you can forgive that one moment just right. on the basis of the rest of his game. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a classic Bill Hamid performance and whatever else happened, you just have to let that go and just revel in the yeah. fact that he was able to smack away uh, uh, two or three shots that could have easily been goals. Yeah, and and certainly you have to take into account as well that United doesn't get anything out of this game if he doesn't play at that level. Oh, yeah, um, exactly. So one little mistake in there... Um, Given the amount of pressure he was under, you can almost understand someone making a mistake after that many uh, looks because, I mean, Philly, had, they ended the game with 17 shot attempts, 9 on target. Um, they ended up having 14 crosses, and I think most of them came in that second half. Um, so, yeah, he, he had to respond uh, in a game where United wasn't uh, wasn't really able... Th- there were some moments in the second half where they sort of took the air out of the ball a little bit, but they were never really able to manage the game to the point that he didn't have much to do, um, which is not the ideal recipe. We don't really want to see the game where Bill Hamid has to be uh, right. on the team of the week. And and I think that was a fair uh Although he won't nod. be because uh, uh, Orlando City fans will never let him be on the team of the well, that's week. For, that's save of the week. Team of the week doesn't get voted on, so Orlando City fans can't... Uh, can't tilt that like they do goalkeeper of the week in every professional league that one of their teams plays in. Um, so shout out to Joe Bendick and Ashlyn Harris, who will be piling those up all year long. Um, regardless of, I mean, sometimes they will actually make a good save and deserve some sort of uh, combination. No, but there will be other times so. where they will just make a regular old save and Orlando fans will give them save of the week through sheer, uh, for I think we actually had when we had Michael Method, Sucro from me- sheer methamphetamines. Um, no, through, through uh, force of will, not methamphetamines. That's a that's not force of will. That's uh, something else. Um, that's that's pure Florida man though. I I don't think that's just Florida. Uh, that's a lot of places nowadays. Um, yeah, uh, so, my, so 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 go, so uh, just going on about the game. Um, sure. It was Jose Ortiz's first real start. Or first actual start at all, not just real. First real uh, actual start for DC United uh, in place of Patrick Mullins, and he got a goal. He earned a penalty kick. Uh, 
he's going to have his chance because Patrick Mullins is still injured uh, to start next week uh, against NYCFC as well. So he's obviously already proved that he is at least an MLS quality player. But do you think if he continues this this run of play against NYCFC, do you think he can actually challenge Patrick Mullins for DC United's starting role? I mean, the window is open. Um, the way that he played in this game... Um, now, granted, as I said before the game and as I said after the game, I do think that the Union's defense is particularly vulnerable to Ortiz's style of play. Gooch. Um, mo- not just Gooch. The whole group seems really uncomfortable if you make them turn and chase. Um, the fact that they had to... Um, make the sub at halftime. I, I kind of wish United had taken a little more advantage of it because uh, Jack Elliott, who came in for Richie Marquez at halftime, that was those were his first professional minutes of any kind as far as I, I don't think he's played for Bethlehem Steel because I think he's been having to travel with the Union and sit on the bench for them. Right. Um, so um, I, I would have liked to see him troubled a little more by United in the second half, but they just couldn't really get a hold of the ball long enough to do that. Um, but, you know, Ortiz was extremely busy, as always. Um, he is a little bit of an individualist. He will call his number maybe more often than he should. Yeah. Um, there was a shot in the first half that frustrated, I think, three different uh, United players um, when Ortiz decided to shoot instead of uh, making a pass. But, you know, that kind of comes part and parcel with, with strikers. Um, and if it, Olsen's the kind of guy that looks at the big picture, and he, if he sees... Uh, you know, one goal and one penalty won this week. And if, if Ortiz is heavily involved in a goal or two next week and the week after that, then Mullins might have a fight on his hand, a real fight on his hands. Even though we know that United is built to play with a target man and Mullins is a target man, whereas Ortiz isn't really. Um, even with that in mind, if Ortiz is finding a way to um, make things happen, then he's going to stay in the frame somehow. Um, I did notice that his uh, relationship with Lucho Acosta seems to be pretty healthy. Um, Acosta doesn't seem to be like, I don't know how to play off of this guy. I know how to play off of Mullins, but I'm not sure about Ortiz. Uh, They seem to get each other. Um, Maybe maybe not to the eye-opening extent that we saw last season when Acosta and Mullins just figured each each other out within like a day. Um, But still, it it was a pretty good... Uh, relationship between those two that led to a lot of uh, success for United. And I think uh, the door's open. I mean, it's not like Mullins played up to his best ability before he got hurt. We have to say he wasn't at his best. Um, He was not particularly sharp in any of those games. Now, United as a team wasn't particularly sharp, but that was part of it. Um, And uh, Ortiz is always going to bring the, the energy. We're never going to have that game where it's like, oh, he didn't do anything in this one. He wasn't. He wasn't involved. He was flat. He's always going to put in the, uh, the work, so he's always going to be involved in some way. So, you know, Olsen's always going to be tempted uh, to keep someone like that in his lineup uh, somewhere on the field. So if if he can keep having games like this, maybe we do have an actual forward controversy. I wouldn't have thought so uh, when Mullins went down. I was a little worried that it was too early for Ortiz to have to be leaned on so much, but... Uh, Maybe maybe it's not such a worry. Maybe we don't have we have a good problem rather than a bad problem. I guess is the way to look at it. Yeah, and the other uh, interesting thing to talk about on the uh, offensive line, especially the really attacking offensive line, is uh, the wingers. 
where uh, uh, Patrick Nierko has done fine so far. He's been struggling to uh, get involved, but that also has to do a lot with uh, the people around him. But Lloyd Sam has uh, struggled more greatly and uh, finally came around in this game. So what what do you think about the wingers and how they acted in this game? And uh, do you think that they've settled down and are really starting to get into a rhythm uh, for how they're going to play the rest of this season? Uh, I thought Sam was a lot more active, especially in the first half. Um, obviously, he was the first sub, um, so he's not going to have uh, as many action points on the chalkboard. Uh, because, well, I mean, one, he just doesn't defend as much. He wasn't the first sub. Ortiz was the first sub. Never mind. Yeah. Um, but Sam was the first sub among the wingers. Um, he got the assist on Ortiz's goal. Um, generally I thought he looked brighter in this game than he has all season. He looked more plugged into what was going on. Um, I still think there's a lot more there, uh, than we got, uh, that the assist was his only key pass. So he wasn't setting up, um, anything else as far as looks at goal. Um, and, and looking at where he was doing his work, he was a little deeper than I would like to see. Um, a little closer to the midfield stripe than than more into the attacking third, which is where he really belongs. But it was still an improvement, and I think maybe that's kind of a theme for United as a whole, is that this was not them at their best by any means, but it was a step towards being that team that, that we saw last year. And I think I think we know is still in there. It's just getting back to that point, really taking those steps to get there. Um, Niako, I thought, was... Maybe actually, it's kind of funny because he wasn't as involved in this game as as he has been in some of the weeks past, where he was maybe the only attacking player who was truly buzzing for ninety minutes. Uh, but he still ended up with a couple key passes. He still ended up with um, some successful dribbles, if I'm not mistaken. I should probably bring that up because I have a computer; and I can do it. Yeah, he uh, eventually he did get the one, um, even though he had to switch flanks at one point. Um, you know. At the end of the game, United's formation was kind of a five-five-zero, um, which was kind of a strange look. But uh, in any case, I think I think we got kind of the baseline Niarco performance um, in this game, rather than him at his best. But it was good enough on the day. He kept Fabinho from really getting involved in the attack too much, which is always a, a big plus against the Union because as much as Fabinho is a defensive liability. Um, if he's getting forward and actually affecting the game, then you've got a big problem. Um, and he did get forward, but he wasn't really affecting game. He, um, I'm looking at his passing map, and a lot of the green arrows are backwards, um, which means yep. uh, Niako really... He, I mean, I'm not saying it was exclusively him, but he played a role in restricting a guy that loves to get forward and hit crosses, and generally... Yeah, he and, he, he and Nick DeLeon definitely had an, an understanding on when to pass off Fabinho on his overlaps. Um, right. Nick DeLeon would pull very, very far inside when the ball was in transition. And then knowing that they would look for that big switch, he was very quick to rotate out. And when he couldn't, Niarco was, was out there and they were communicating pretty well. I thought, yeah, Which I think it was on the right side, seeing those two guys or, or even Lloyd Sam, because Niarco and Sam switched a lot more in this yeah. game than, than usual. And, and and I think it was also, you know, that, that 
when you see a movement like that repeated over and over again uh, from De Leon, a, def- a defensive movement, you know that it's something that was worked on a lot in training, um, that this was a real point of emphasis for the team. And um, for De Leon to pick up on those concepts and execute them at a high level uh, is important because we're still talking about a guy who is, you know, five or six games into his career as a right back. Um, so it's still, there's still going to be a learning curve. Um, but if, if he's able to take what was a, you know, a lot of, a lot of knowledge, a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, things on your plate at that point where you're having to play right back, but you also have to make this very specific pinch inside and then shift back out in case of this one thing. Um, it leaves you with a ton to take in and react to quickly on the, on the field. And he handled it really well. Nyako really helped out as well. So, um, Overall, I I think both wingers, they were, I'm not going to say they were great. Um, I don't think other than maybe Hamid, I don't think anyone for United was great, but I think they, they got the job done and, and a little more above that. So a satisfactory game. I I still want to see a little more from both of them, but I think, you know, we're making progress towards getting there. The big lineup change that wasn't forced by injury in this one was Bobby Boswell returning to the side, um, his first game actually since rejoining DC United after the 2013 season in which he appeared and was not the captain, uh, at least the, the nominal team captain. Steve Birnbaum kept the armband, but Boswell rejoined the starting lineup, replacing Sean Franklin, who entered the game late as a substitute. Um, but the center back pairing was back to what it's been for the last couple of years. Uh, Ben, what did you make of Boswell? Because I know he's not as mobile as Sean Franklin, but I thought that he, the the defense looked better for long stretches in this one. Yeah, I thought he was fine. I thought he at least improved the defense in the uh, areas of anticipation and uh, planning and uh, positioning on the field. Like you said, he's not as athletic or uh, as able to get up and down the field as Franklin, but I think at he still this had moment, one of his trademark dribble runs though. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Dayon Boswell. Uh, I, but yeah, I think for what a center back is actually supposed to do, I thought he did a very good job. And even given, even given the fact that, uh, Sean Franklin had all the time during the preseason and all the time in these first couple of games. I, I don't know if that experiment is is working. And uh, like I said, have said previously, I wish it was uh, an actual center back on DC United's roster that had gotten at least some of those minutes uh, as opposed to Sean Franklin, it, whether it have been Kofi Apare or my preference, Jalen Robinson, to just get some of those minutes alongside Steve Birnbaum and see if they could have been the uh, possibility as well, but it was it was Boswell, it was uh, Franklin who got all of those minutes in the preseason and in the regular season, and now Ben Olsen has to uh, play with that on the fly. I think, weirdly, the biggest difference in this game wasn't Bobby Boswell per se. I think Sean Franklin has been honestly better than I thought he would be as a center back, Sure, and, and Boswell wasn't world beating in this game but Steve Birnbaum played a lot better in this game yes. with Boswell next to him rather than Sean Franklin I don't know if that's because of two years of comfort that he has with with Boswell my hunch in this comes from essentially being a teacher's assistant in in law school 
is that when Birnbaum tries to take on the responsibility of organizing the defense himself, it makes him worse at everything else that he does because he's using so much to focus on that, that he can't just be in the moment and, and do what his muscle memory knows to do. He's, he's over, you know, he, he's trying to do something else. And so the things he knows how to do suffer. And I think we saw him closer to what we know he can be in this game, as opposed to what he's been so far, which especially against Columbus was, was nowhere near the level we're used to seeing from Birnbaum. So I think having someone next to him who he knows he can trust to make decisions on his own over there, as opposed to trying to direct traffic, I think that may have had something to do with it. And I think it's just something that he has to grow into because Bobby Boswell will not always be there next to him. And he won't always have somebody there to, you know, either share the, the organizing burden with or to pass it on to. So I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes because Boswell is obviously not a long-term solution at that position. Right. And I and, wonder and if I, I do wonder if Boswell would have the same struggles, no matter who was next to him, as long as it was somebody without the experience of Bobby Boswell. And I, I will say the one thing that, that maybe concerned me a little bit is that when you add Boswell and you do kind of become more of a back foot team overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it does equip you to defend the box a little more because he's used to those battles in the air and, and the uh, the physical battles in the box uh, when a team gets direct like Philadelphia did. Um, it also kind of forces you to be that team. Right. It kind of it, it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and it's not really conducive to winning a lot of games to have to play like that. Um, with the team, the rest of the, the lineup that United will be putting on the field. Um, in this game, you know, like I said, they had about 30 solid minutes where they were definitely the better team. Um, but you're not going to get two goals out of those 30 minutes every single week. Um, and on the other side of that, when the union were putting them under intense pressure, you're not going to escape that pressure every week. Um, no matter, you know, no matter how well Boswell plays. Um, and I think the move to go with Franklin was an attempt to escape that. Um, things change when you go scoreless and winless in your first three games in a row, you start to look for finding a way to win games regardless. Um, and I think that might be a little bit of what happened here. Um, I don't know that Boswell is very well equipped for NYCFC, but I also wonder, you know, if you're Olsen, how, how do you look the rest of the team in the eye when you made this one change uh, to your lineup and you got a win and then you switch back to what wasn't working before? That would be a very tough uh, thing to sell. Like, it can be done, but it takes an awful lot. Um, so it, it will be very interesting to see the lineup this coming week because on one hand, Boswell's really not the guy you want having to deal with David Villa. On the other hand, he did he did start and DC United did win, and it wasn't just an accident that they won. I think it did. I mean, it was going back to a style there maybe that fans don't want to see that maybe we know is not a long term uh, trophy winning plan, but it is one that in the short term can pay off for United from time to time. So is is that going to be a is a one game step back and then we we go back to doing what, what we thought this team was going to be about this year or is it um, 
you know, a medium term, like for the next few weeks, just to steady the ship and get some points in, this is how we're going to play. So it's a big week, I guess, it on the, the training field, and we'll, we won't find out the outcome of that until Saturday at like 3 o'clock, right? Yeah, 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock? I forget when the kickoff the, actually is. The lineup will come out at 3, I think, is the situation. Oh, that's that's fair. That's a good that's point. I, you, went, you went two levels deep, and I, I was completely <laughs> left behind. Uh, I think one name we will definitely see on that team sheet, though, is Ian Harks. The rookie has been impressive. Uh, the rookie has been impressive um, in his his minutes so far. Um, it was m- maybe even one of the better parts of midfield in this game. Uh, he definitely does look like a rookie at some moments, I thought. When he's in the final third, the, the game hasn't slowed down for him yet. He's trying to make mm-hmm. passes and he's under hitting them or hitting them a little bit later than he should. Um, not seeing the shooting opportunities when they present themselves. I want to see him be a little more decisive in the final third and his tackling and transition still isn't necessarily where I would like it to be, but those are relatively minor quibbles for a guy playing his what third, fourth professional soccer right. game. Yeah. So uh, all in all, I think Harks has has been pretty good for United so far and has shown at the same time room to grow. I think he's improved over these games and he's got a lot of room left to improve. So I'm, I'm pretty excited for the kid. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's obvious that he has a, a lot of room to grow and is also in Ben Olsen's plans because Ben Olsen is already starting him and uh, he didn't do so to start the year. He uh, chose Jared Jeffrey over uh, Harks and that has changed. So uh, it's just, it is a obvious point in Harks' favor that Ben Olsen has come around to him and been willing to put him with uh, Luciano Acosta when Acosta's come back uh, where a lot of people thought that it might not be a defensive enough uh, partnership to have those two in front of whichever defensive midfielder, whether it be Marcelo Sarvas, whether it be Rob Vincent, whether it be next week, probably Chris Durkin, because there's nobody else left. Uh, yeah, so I think Ian Harks, we... we we all thought he might take the starting position just right off the bat, uh, but he's shown that within two or three weeks that he is an undeniable starter for this team and is able to prove a lot just as a uh, as a first-year starter, and he's just going to get even better uh, from that position going forward. Yeah, he makes a lot of final third runs that I think are really clever. And uh, at the same time, also rotating to fill in for Marcelo's various uh, swashbuckling moments. Stomping. Um, well, less the stomping and more the chasing a guy 30 yards away. Um, let's call those the Labrador Retriever moments where he just goes off and after a wild hair, um, which Marcelo is never going to have the positional discipline you necessarily want in that role when it, when it works. And other than the stomp, Marcelo was a lot better in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought because those risks, those closeouts, those runs were working in a way that they weren't for the first three games of the year. 
that said, they weren't working a hundred percent of the time. And he put his teammates into some rough positions, uh, on a couple of moments because he would just run himself out of position. So, um, that's one of the things I'm looking for this week and whether it's Durkin, whether it's Jeffrey, whether it's Harks, hell, who knows, uh, whoever steps into that number six spot, uh, for Marcelo this week, I want to, I, I am hoping to see a little bit more positional discipline, uh, and you know, maybe some more ball winning without stomping on people's legs. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say for Harks, um, I actually thought this was maybe one of his more, I, I mean, it's not a big sample size, obviously, but it, it was a little bit of a, a, a more anonymous performance. It wasn't necessarily eye catching. Uh, he didn't have the key passes that we're used to seeing. He didn't have too many passes in behind, uh, breaking the lines at all. He just, it was more of a tidy performance, but I think it does reflect sort of a knowledge of how the game was going over 90 minutes. Um, because in the second half, especially you'd have to be dumb to just keep trying to play killer balls. Um, when DC is just being put under immense pressure every time that Philadelphia had the ball. Um, and so Hark showed some, some smarts by just trying to keep possession and, and play a little more simply and, and it's more boring. Um, it's not particularly fun or thrilling, but it does slow the game down. It makes a little things a little more manageable. And when you're facing a team that is really dominating all other aspects of play, those little moments count. Um, you know, when your defense has been having to defend for three or four minutes in a row and you find yourself on the ball, it's probably a lot better for you to just make sure that your team keeps possession rather than looking in behind right away and then, oh, it, you know, your through ball didn't pan out and now your defenders are back defending again. Um, so, you know, it was a little less of an eye-catching performance and I think he can do a little better on the possession side. I think his passing stats were lower this week than in previous weeks. Um, but on the same, you know, on the same token, by having a little more of a quiet game, uh, connecting things and being that glue guy, uh, that does help out a little bit, uh, on a night where, you know, you're not able to be the, the most attack, attack minded team on the field. Um, and, you know, United wasn't able to really manage the second half in the best way. So at least when they found the ball found Harks in the second half, they could rely on him to, keep the ball moving and give them a break a little, uh, some of the time. It's kind of a boring thing, but it, it's a, it's kind of a thing that rookies don't get right away. Um, especially guys that have been such a big part of their college team, um, on the offensive side of the ball. The fact that he understands that this, you know, intuitively he understood this isn't the night for playing those balls in behind and, and thinking that you're going to win the game with that third goal. Um, it's, that's mature. It, it's a mature decision and that's a, a promising development for him. I think that's all I've got for this game. We will talk about the U S men's national team trip to Panama here in just a second. Stick around. This is filibuster black and red United podcast. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, you are. 
in a, I'm really not, uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The United States bagged four points from their two latest games in the final round of CONCACAF qualifying, the hexagonal. Uh, after that 6 nothing romp over Honduras in San Jose, they got a 1-to-1 draw down in Panama. Clint Dempsey scoring just four minutes before Gabriel Gomez uh, equalized for Los Canaleros. Uh that goal made, I think, what is it, four goals in two games for Clint Dempsey, who is officially back from uh, the the heart issue that had him sidelined at the end of 2016. Um, ben, are you how glad are you to see Deuce back on the field and and doing this, doing Deuce things because he's scoring goals in all the ways? I mean, yeah, I'm very glad because they're only a few people on the USMNT that can do things like this. Uh, I mean, obviously, Christian Pulisic makes it uh, easier for lots of people to make those runs and score those goals. But even with his amazingness, there aren't that many people on the USMNT can, that can make that kind of thing happen. And Deuce is one of them. And it's great to have him there, even if when everyone is healthy, if he gets relegated to the bench... Uh, in the next couple of uh, World Cup qualifi- qualifiers. He is an amazing person to have, uh, no matter where he's coming from, uh, for the USMNT. So I'm not him ha- 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 Go ahead, go ahead. I'm not sure he gets pushed to the bench the way he's no, playing he, he for might club not. and country no, right yeah, now. He like, might not. I don't know if you saw the 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 compilation of his game for Seattle this past weekend, but dude is... He's Wait, like did, Deuce did turned they, up to 11, essentially they, like back heels, random, like flying side foot volleys backwards. It's bizarre. Like, and, and they're coming off. Like everything he's trying is, is working right now. He is, he is at maximum Deuce. Did they invent compilations in uh, Seattle? If you ask them, I believe they would say they did. Yes. Okay. Uh, Ben mentioned Christian Pulisic, who has been fantastic in his, you know, over over two games. Obviously against Panama, it was a, a bit of an uglier game, a bit grittier, um, not necessarily pretty for anybody. But Pulisic made the goal happen, and he was pretty fantastic. Two goal or two assists and a goal against Honduras. Jason, did you expect Pulisic to come out flying exactly like this? And can he keep it up? 
I mean, I didn't really expect him to play at the level he did against Honduras, though I also didn't expect Honduras to be uh, a giant mess as they were on that night. Um, you know, playing out on the right in, in the second game against Panama, um, it does restrict his ability to get involved. I also think that, you know, a major factor was just that the entire U.S. team wasn't as good on the night, uh, partially due to some some of their own tactical decisions in the form of a central midfield duo that we have many, many, many games seeing doesn't work. Um, so that didn't really help him uh, be at his best that second game. But, um, I mean, the, the, the level he's playing at week in and week out uh, with Borussia Dortmund um, is huge. I mean, he comes to CONCACAF and he's instantly one of the best players in the entire region. Um, and I think he showed that against Honduras. He, he didn't just, um, it's not just one of those things where like, well, based on his play in Europe, he's one of the best players in the region. Uh, in that game against Honduras, he showed that in CONCACAF games, which are a different kind of animal as we've seen over the years, um, he's still that kind of guy. I mean, he may have to alter his game a little bit, playing through the middle uh, in, in that 4-3-1-2, um, but he was still able to really uh, dominate that game, and, and that's kind of... Uh, we, we can't expect that every single game where he would be involved in, what, four of the goals out of six? I don't think we're going to see that every single qualifier. Um, it would be nice, but that's not how CONCACAF works. Um, but the fact that he was able to... Against Panama... It wasn't working on the soccer side for the most part, so at least he managed to uh, play his role defensively and try his best to create something on a night where no one was really creating much. Um, that reflects well, too. He didn't just, you know, Panama was trying to kick him off the field um, in that one, and he didn't really let it throw him off too much. Um, he didn't let it turn into a meltdown. He didn't try and force too many things and, and end up paying for it that way. Uh, he just sort of took it. I mean, he complained some, but he wasn't uh, losing his top, um, which is a difficult test because anyone that's watched teams go play Panama in Panama or even CONCACAF Champions League games in Panama, uh, that is CONCACAF's most Thunderdome-esque place to play soccer. Um, and usually games there end up very, very heated no matter who's playing. And the fact that he didn't let that really, you know, get under his skin too much, I think is, is a positive sign down the road. Ben also mentioned the, or one of you mentioned it's, it's late. We're recording late into the night here. Um, the pairing of Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley in the center and how it really doesn't work and we shouldn't see it anymore. Nope. Do we need to say anything more on that particular pairing? I guess Jermaine Jones has things to say, but you can go listen to facts. Hurt Gomez's podcast no, facts. about that. Go facts with a facts. K. Um, I, the, the only thing I would add is that Kellen Acosta subbing in for Jones is what actually should be the central midfield pairing. Um, or if Sebastian Legette was healthy. Right. Well, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately that's going to be a while. He's going to miss that next qualifier. Uh, what he's out, he's out four, four to six months. Yeah. Um, but, uh, if we're going to see a flatter midfield, Kellen Acosta makes a lot of sense. I, I think he might work as a shuttler. I don't know. I've never seen him in that kind of position. If we play a diamond, it could right. make some sense. He could he could do that. Um, but I, I think if you're going to play Bradley and Acosta, you do open up the possibility of of using Jones the way Colorado has used him in the past, where they or when he was with Colorado, 
using him as uh, your attacking midfielder and just letting his tendency to do whatever he wants at any given time um, work to your advantage rather than it being the thing where he's abandoning Michael Bradley uh, to defend central midfield all alone because he's Jermaine Jones and he runs off. Um, but in either case, and I think we're going to see Arena remain flexible as far I don't think we're going to see him say, this is how I'm going to play every single time. Um, but yeah, I, the four, a flat four, four, two with Bradley and Jones, we have more than enough evidence that it doesn't work. It was disappointing to see it is a starting lineup. Um, it wasn't surprising to me that it didn't work. Uh, they just, they are not a compatible duo. So zooming out a little bit to, to end the segment, the U S did get four points. They went from, uh, basically being one loss away from being in real, real trouble qualifying for the world cup next year to basically being in control of their own destiny. Um, I think ESPN's soccer power index, whatever SPI stands for has the U S close to 90% to make the world cup now after these four points, which I would have rather had six. Everyone would rather have six points from every two games, but four points was a pretty reasonable expectation going on the road in CONCACAF is way harder than it should be. It's really hard. Um, that said, the U.S. I think has has a pretty good, obviously a pretty good shot now uh, yeah. to to make this. And even if we don't win the hex, and this will be the first time in three or four rounds that the U.S. hasn't finished first in the hex. But making the World Cup is more important than finishing on top of your qualifying group. Right. So, yep. And the, the uh, schedule does point towards that that power index being fairly indicative of things. They've still got Trinidad twice. They're the only team that hasn't played Trinidad yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And Trinidad, with all due respect to them, is probably the weakest team in the hex. Um, So the, and the U S has a history of scratching out a boring one, nothing win in Trinidad and then winning, you know, two or three, nothing on U S soil against them. Um, So if that holds, uh, you know, you add six points to the four they've already got. And you really only need to get to 13 to be sure of your spot in the top three. Um, generally speaking, that's looking over, you know, 20, 25 years of hexagonals or however many it is in a row now. Um, 13 usually gets you in. It's almost impossible not to get in with 13. Um, and so if you can beat Trinidad at home in a way, you have four more games to get one win and two of those will be home games. Um, and we're talking about home against Panama. Um, dream at home against Costa Rica, which will be, it's always a difficult task, but at the same time, um, manageable, I think under Bruce arena. Um, now they do still have their trip to Mexico, which is always difficult. Um, that, but this year might not be quite as difficult because the the reports uh, are that maybe that game won't be at the Azteca, um, which, uh, is good news for, players lungs if they want to run more than uh normal uh if you want to do athletic things azteca isn't the best place to do that um but still the schedule even with that game looming um it's a favorable setup um if the u.s can beat trinidad home and away and then beat panama they've probably done enough even if they even if they get slaughtered at at mexico and they lose to costa rica at home and they lose to honduras on the road even if they lose all of those games um, if they can just win three, they're in, uh, more or less. I mean, it's not mathematically assured, but the pattern over the years has been, you, if you can get to 13, you're going to get in. Um, and that's, 
more than doable. You know, Honduras away, that's a winnable game too. Um, So there's plenty of room for them to get to, what, 19 even. If if they can beat Costa Rica at home and Honduras away, they can get up to 19, which is winning. That's winning the hexagonal. And that's Um, not even counting the Mexico game. Right. So the the schedule is very – having – and I said this when the draw came out. Having uh, Mexico at home and Costa Rica away – it does put you under intense pressure early, but it also means your last eight games are as easy as it's going to get, more or less, uh, for a, for a hexagonal schedule for anyone in CONCACAF. So, yeah, the U.S. had two of their three hardest games right out of the gate, yeah. and then and then probably the fourth hardest game at Panama in the second set of games. So, three of the four hardest games are behind the U.S. now, right. and we're not going to relitigate Klinsman's situation he he didn't he do bad. well with the t- t- two three hardest games um the u.s did not look up for either of those games and were put out in a weird situation um <coughs> the fact is the fact is klinsman is no longer the head coach no longer the manager bruce arena is there and bruce arena has somewhat righted the ship so far it looks like uh he will continue that and he will actually get to coach in his third world cup uh if things keep going along the path they're on so that's good news and uh i think that's it for for this segment stick around we will talk in just a second with sam dunn from hudson river blue this is filibuster the black and red united podcast Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will be looking for vengeance or just to save a little bit of face Saturday at RFK Stadium when New York City Football Club comes to town just mere minutes, a couple weeks after the Pigeons wrecked DC United 4 to nothing at Yankee Stadium. Here to preview the, the return visit and the end of the season series is Sam Dunn from Hudson River Blue. Sam, welcome to Filibuster. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me today. We we start every interview with this question. It's very important. It sets the tone. What are you drinking? Okay. What am I drinking? Well, uh, uh, it's funny you should ask. Right now, we actually have uh, uh, we are uh, we are sipping on some Bullet Rye this evening. It was on special Ooh, down at the good. corner. So yeah, we had to we had to do it. We had to pull the trigger. Excellent choice. choice. Excellent choice. NYCFC are unbeaten since that game I just mentioned that I think finished maybe half an hour ago. Um, NYCFC are also still playing out of the back, doing everything we kind of knew they would coming in. David Villa is still scoring goals, and Tommy McNamara is still awesome. Tell us something. Tell us something about. uh, By the way, you're welcome. Uh, And tell us something (laughs) about NYCFC that we don't already know. Well. it's uh, it's quite interesting. They they are sticking to that uh, that philosophy more and more because they have the personnel to do it. The thing that is kind of the new hot take in NYCFC land that isn't even a hot take is that with each passing day slash minute, uh, it may in fact be that Andre Pirlo, one of the greatest midfielders of all time, uh, could be on his way to being surplus to requirements. And I don't have an earthly explanation for that other than uh, to point to the, the man that you just mentioned, uh, Thomas McNamara of West Nyack, New York. Um, it's, it's a strange world to be in indeed 
where, and this is purely in the context of style of play that, that Vieira insists on, which is really the, the Pep Guardiola uh, build-up philosophy, um, it, it, how many more defensive breakdowns based on uh, Pirlo's inability to cover ground, like we saw in the early goal that Urania scored uh, for San Jose the other day, before we, we have to start thinking about a Pirlo exit strategy, crazy as that sounds. So one change at the back that NYCFC made was shipping out Josh Saunders and bringing in Sean Johnson. And I think um, some eyebrows were raised by that acquisition because Sean Johnson, not really known for playing well with his feet, Sucks. he obviously, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a technical he obviously, term. Yeah, it's uh, it's he Sean John obviously had some issues in this past game. Uh, you guys had. What? How has he been living up to expectations, and how has he been adapting to NYCFC? Well, in terms of Josh Saunders, who was the the full time starter for the entire first season with the team, and just about all the second until there was a, a quick little switcheroo in the last regular season game and the two playoff games against Toronto that did not go so well, where a former Man City Academy boy Eric Johansson stepped in, uh, and kind of singled that. Uh, it was very much the end of the Saunders era. Um, the key to to what kind of ailed Saunders at the back was not simply his limitations, and he's getting up there in the years. Uh, as a shot stopper, even now, I think Saunders is all right. It's just if you don't put a decent group in front of him, there's only so much he can do. Not only did he not have uh, the right guys on the back line, but uh, there was no pure uh, defensive midfield presence to shield those guys. So it put just an absolutely unfair amount of pressure on Saunders to, to, to do what he had to do just to, to keep the ball out. Johnson, uh, it, it was in fact a head-scratcher, like you said, that uh, he was brought in considering Vieira's insistence on a very particular style of play. You need a goalkeeper uh, that would seem to be able to play with the ball at his feet with some uh, confidence and competence, that's really not Johnson's style. This many years into his career, we've never really seen that from him. But the difference is the guys in front of him. Uh, we're seeing Maxime Chanot have a, uh, his first full offseason with the team. He had some injuries even after coming in in midseason last year, so we only caught a glimpse. Uh, another center back, uh, a new arrival, Alexander Collins, the Peru international, came over from the second division in Spain. He has really stood out in terms of his toughness, in terms of his positioning. He's kind of doing for New York City what Jefferson Mena was supposed to do in the first couple years of this team. A guy who brings a lot of athleticism. Um, unfortunately, uh, Mena was not able to provide a lot else at the center back position and is spending this year on loan in Ecuador. Collins and then... Uh, Box-to-box destroyer by the name of Alexander Ring, who came over from uh, Kaiserslautern in Germany. Those guys would make any goalkeeper's job easier compared to the the uh, the equivalent folks taking up those spaces for New York City in past years. So even with Johnson's limitations, uh, the system that's in place is just working a lot better. Uh Sam, I, I guess I, the first thing I'm going to do is bring it back to uh, DC United and to bring it back to uh, someone who went to the same university as I did and also is from the state of Maryland, the only state that counts. Um, I'm going to talk about Ethan White, who ha- last year really didn't get any time uh, with NYCFC, uh, but this year is starting to get uh, more. In, I think it's what, three starts in a row at right back? Um, 
Yeah, kind of, yeah, uh, they're uh, they're giving them a, a long hard look. Definitely not the conventional wisdom pick, considering how both Jason Christ and Patrick Vieira, not two guys that didn't agree on a lot of particulars, um, but were very much uh, in agreement about the things that a guy in in R.J. Allen could provide on the right side of a back four. Uh, the style couldn't be more different from White. While Allen was a, a bomber, an overlapper, uh, who would occasionally show some vulnerability in one-on-one defending, just ask Mike Grella, who clearly loves the taste of R.J. Allen's blood, uh, or a guy like Lloyd Sam, for that matter, who, no matter which team he's playing for, loves to terrorize New York City. That's that's just something that, that he's got going for him. But in white, we're seeing, with the continued emergence of Jack Harrison in front of him and a three-man midfield that's able to cover a lot more ground because you've got Maxi Morales taking up the Frank Lampard roles, able to drop deep. Uh, he's, he's really showing that motor. And, of course, Alexander Ring in the box-to-box role. Uh, there's a lot less pressure on New York City's right fullbacks to... Uh, really uh, get forward. So in white, you have a guy that, especially in the narrow confines of Yankee Stadium, is able to close things out, and he showed a lot more poise with the ball at his feet. He was a guy that, since he had arrived in the in the relatively earlier days, uh, was one of many New York City players who looked quite skittish when the ball was at his feet. But he hasn't been asked to do too much. And uh, because of that, he's been uh, one of the Arguably the, one of the most uh, surprising uh, bright spots for the team so far. He's he's not he's not overextended himself in any way, and there was a reason why they re-upped him for this year when they could have let that option fall by the wayside. Uh, this guy isn't just good at taking pictures for the Players Tribune. He is uh, he is uh, a good defensive player, and um, the fans I, I can say uh, for sure are really pleasantly surprised by what he's able to show been able to show so far this season. I mean I I, I guess at the other end of the field, um last year McNamara was mostly playing as a left sided forward uh winger kind of player. Um this year NYCFC really Jack Harrison was in and out of the starting lineup. He sort of rotated in and out a lot. This year it's been Jack Harrison's going to start uh at week in, week out. Uh Rodney Wallace was brought in, speaking of guys with Maryland roots. Um, he's not even, I could go on to John Sturzer, but we'll, we'll leave that for another episode, I guess. Um, how are John those Sturzer two doing wide? Own episode, Jason. Well, we will, uh, we will come back to it. We, we will <laughs> give it, we'll give John Sturzer a one hour episode. Um, if Ben and Adam will allow it, which I'm guessing they won't, but I, I'll do something <laughs> by myself. We don't have to record it. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, it's probably- another lost episode. Um, but yeah, uh, Harrison and Wallace have really taken over those two roles, uh, along, or alongside, on either side of David Villa. Um, how have they looked so far? I know Wallace is, is definitely getting in among the goals. And it's interesting because the scoring, it's been amazing to see from Wallace. He's doing this, uh, a, a series of tenacious performances in front of goal, uh, chances that, uh, in, in an earlier time for New York City would have fallen by the wayside. He's he's sticking with it, doing his little like falling down uh, shot kind of deal, uh, picking up rebounds and uh, cleaning up the mess. So th- 
the uh, the offensive production has been kind of a bonus. Really, the the reason why Vieira brought in a guy like that, and the reason that he's been getting the starting nod in that spot over someone like Tommy McNamara, or even a guy like Kyrie Shelton, for that matter, who really made huge strides between his rookie year in 2015 and his campaign last year, is because Vieira is trying to to stick to this idea of defending from the front, and which is just another way of saying let's not put our our guys all the way at the back on blast if they're having a, a, a run of inconsistent form. Let's let's do everything we can at all positions on the field uh, to share the defensive load. And Wallace, as a, a, a bulldog type of player, um, utterly aggressive, utterly ruthless, he has been able to provide that from the left-wing position. If anything, the path to McNamara seeing more time on the field is, is in place of Pirlo, but that's that's uh, maybe a different podcast. On the other side, Jack Harrison has very much cemented his place. You talk about a, a guy who uh, is aggressive in his own right. It was good to see him get back among the goals in this past game, uh, an equalizer in the first dozen minutes after uh, what could have been an extremely costly uh, concession even earlier on against San Jose. Uh, Harrison probably should have had two, maybe three goals to his name already up to this point. He hit the post, I mean, uh, in a previous game. He keeps doing his one move that nobody can seem to stop. Where It's probably one that we've all done in the FIFA video games many times, where he grabs the ball, and he isn't a decent crosser, but he likes to cut in from the right, make that lateral run across the box, put it over to his left foot, and try and loop it inside the, the far post. And he's come so close up to this point to see him finally pick one out in this past game was really encouraging. But Harrison, definitely a first choice guy. And just to have more competition at more spots on the field, uh, what a what a great problem for a guy like Vieira to have where picking his team sheet has never been as difficult as this. So... DC United is well known as having the most ridiculous stadium saga uh, in MLS history so far. Yeah. Why won't NYCFC pass DC United in their stadium ridiculousness? Well, at this rate, it's possible. We're talking about uh, a, a situation where... There is not even the scantest amount of red meat to be thrown to the fans, even as a distraction. This team's PR operation. So you're saying uh, you're behind has, even the New England Revolution? Well, I would much rather play in a baseball stadium that's inside the five boroughs than go to a <laughs> football stadium in Foxborough, play on some damn turf with multiple. Multiple different lines for multiple different sports painted on the field. Um, so it, it, I guess, I mean, it, 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 pick your poison. But, uh, and also I want to add this Saturday, I am making my very first trip to RFK Stadium. Huh? I'm my very first. I'm, I'm doing it. And I'm, I am, I am excited to, uh, to see those, those hallowed grounds. Uh, but with New York City, there was a little bit of promise in terms of trying to move forward on the stadium front when Michael Bloomberg was the mayor. And since Bill de Blasio came through, a lot of that promise has 
ground to a standstill. And now we're seizing on, as, as fans of the team, even the smallest news. Like, if any politician, not even talking about an actual plan or any kind of appropriations process, if any politician actually expresses general interest in having a stadium in their jurisdiction, it's like a coup for us because the NIMBY problem has been really, really bad. We Nobody understand wants that. to step up. <laughs> yeah, and and it's uh and when you're talking about the five boroughs, like, I mean, just sheer space is at such a premium. I mean, there's only so many rail yards out there. I mean, that's at least you at least you have five boroughs and not one district. <laughs> <laughs> We are not the swamp land. That's true. I mean, my I've proposed a solution for a long time. Well, I mean, Staten, no one wants to take me up on <laughs> Staten Island. Yeah, they're building. They're building what's going to be the largest park in the five boroughs on top of a landfill. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, Single most I, Staten Island thing ever. Absolutely, from the slums of Shaolin. I have <laughs> proposed for a while now, and no one wants to take me up on this. The idea of just building a giant floating platform like from Bioshock Infinite and just put put the put the stadium site on top of there. It will literally hover above the five boroughs. It'll be a movable feast of soccering. That'll it, hey, uh, you got a lot of uh, a lot of fans that want to come in from Jersey. You can put it closer to the Hudson. Is this a big uh, a big weekend for Long Islanders? You can push it back east a little bit. That's and, and honestly, that proposal, and it would probably only cost a couple trillion dollars, uh, <laughs> is much more workable than anything that's been proposed at this point. What, what about so, putting it up, floating it on top of Trump Tower? You could do it. I mean, they played tennis matches on top of skyscrapers in, like, Dubai and Qatar, I feel like. They've played basketball games on the decks of aircraft carriers. Uh, these are all... These are all more legitimate options than anything that's actually been put on paper <laughs> so far. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess my, my my other question just is, do you think that central defense is going to, uh, going back to the field, obviously, do, do, you, do you think that central defense is going to hold up with uh, Chanel and Callens, or do you think it, it's going to, collapse sometime sometime coming uh coming up here down the road well an injury to either one of those guys would be really bad because the the pairing has seemed to work so far this team has uh has their their defensive record through these first three games has been very positive and chano had a, a herniated disc problem last year right when he was starting to develop some uh, rapport with frederick Briand, who they were actually teammates uh, in the past uh, in the Belgian league, that kind of looked like a go-to pairing in the in the middle of a back four, and it kind of went to crap. So there was never really much chemistry. Now with Cheno and Collins, things seem very promising, but we still don't have enough of a sample size to really know. We haven't seen what the Red Bulls' relentless press is going to do to this team. It, it tends to nothing in, in a four-four, nothing in a four-two-two-two. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, so there's still a lot of unanswered questions there. So it's it's hard to commit. I would say it's it's good enough for the fans of this team right now that things have gone as well as they have. This time last year, you're talking about a team that was still searching for its first win at home, uh, had blown at least one lead already in the second half because they just kind of wilted as things went on. 
But to see them, for instance, against Montreal, a team that is absolutely relentless with its counterattacks, to see them continue to stand tall and uh, um, and not uh, and not utterly capitulate when it really mattered, that's one thing to latch on to. But I still do think it's a little too early. We haven't seen what, uh, for instance, um, Frederick Briand would bring to the center of defense playing in front of Sean Johnson. We haven't seen what would happen if Ethan White had to slide inside and R.J. Allen resumes his position at right back. Um, so I think any one injury along that back line, particularly in the middle, would be perhaps the ultimate test of metal uh, at the back so far this season for them. So last question before we get you out of here, uh, and it's something I like to ask uh, people who watch other teams. Put yourself into the opposite shoes coming into this weekend, how would you game plan against NYCFC? How would you keep them from doing what they want to do? How would you score goals on them? Honestly, when we're talking about DC, I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw out with the bathwater what they were trying to do in that first game. It was just the, the odds were stacked against them. You've got, you've got no Luciano Acosta in that game and you can't, you can never underestimate how much that mattered for them. Um, it was a lot to ask of Harks in that situation so he's so early in the season. And to be perfectly honest, Marcelo Sarvas looked like he was 200 years old. So, there. Well, luckily, he won't be around this weekend. Um, luckily yeah. or not, he won't be around this weekend. Uh, the the dis- disciplinary committee hasn't ruled yet, but they're going to come down on him for at least a yes. game. So- so things are things are going to be better, and and the friendly the friendly confines of home that matters as well. An encouraging result Eldis had against Philadelphia, and we know that uh, we know that Patrick Mullins can score against New York City. We know that he's got maybe a little bit of a chip on his shoulder there. I really like well, that guy, by the way. Yeah, he's, he's going to be out for this one. He's still he's oh, still dealing out? with a hamstring he's issue. Yeah, right. I didn't see the most recent update on that. Um, but in terms of in terms of how to approach this game, I think the biggest mistake DC could make would be to tear up the game plan they had in that first game where, where various odds were stacked against them based on circumstance. Um, New York City, still, um, I think you have to you you have to put pressure on them at the back because of issues that guys like Johnson and, uh, to a similar degree, Ethan White have with the ball at their feet. You've got to take your chances there because they're a lot more sure-footed at other parts of the other parts of the pitch than they have been to say that oh well you just neutralized David Villa you just neutralized Maxi Morales that's that, that's uh not a not a smart bet I think you just you have to play relentless and try to go after those weak points with those guys as the build-up play is happening um and and really that's what any team ought to do uh, against this group until they've absolutely proven that this is a workable strategy for them I really think that New York City could still be about a year away from really having all of the guys that they want to fully implement that style. So that's where you start, and uh, and uh, you you put pressure on Pirlo as well. We saw what San Jose was able to do through uh, through Orania right at the start of the game. Uh, it kind of caught Alexander Collins off guard uh, <laughs> how poor Pirlo's defensive work rate really was when they really took it to him, and he wasn't able to compensate for it, and uh, San Jose jumped out to an early lead. Um, and, uh, even if that's not a, a, a blueprint necessarily, I mean, you gotta, if you're going to take a chance and try and, uh, try and shock this team early, that's exactly how you do it. 
And we'll see if DC United can pull it off this Saturday at RFK Stadium. Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the old internet? Well, gentlemen, thanks so much. This was great. Uh, You can find us over at HudsonRiverBlue.com. We are on Twitter at Hudson River Blue. You can find me on Twitter at Real Fake Sam Dunn. That's D U N N. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, uh, and this is a technical term, but a slobber knocker this Saturday. Find us at BlackAndRedUnited.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at Black and Red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Google Music or Google Play, whatever it's called. I'm sorry, Google. Please don't delete us. Uh, also, the podcatcher of your choice. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. That's really the best way to spread the word. For Jason and Ben and thanking Sam Dunn one more time, I'm Adam Taylor. Say goodbye, Jason. I think DC needs to find a way to not let Tommy McNamara leave RFK Stadium on Saturday.